Welcome to the Thirst World Problems Podcast, where we talk about drinks, current events, music, and more. Now, here's your host, Nick Dugall, and his panel of experts, B, Bell, and the infamous Doc. This is Bell coming at you from behind the mic on Thirst World Problem, and today we are joined with a special guest. Today we have Akamia Deadweiler, author of Single That, dispelling the top 10 myths of the single woman. Did I get that out right? Did I do that, guys? Wow. Yeah, I'm, 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 that was I'm, about to, I'm about to faint here. <laughs> <laughs> From the huge. shot. <laughs> yeah. That was huge. All right. That like I huge. said, we've got a very, very creative writer. We've got a crazy successful author here. But the very first question we're going to ask her, so Akamia, we're going to put you on the spot right away. Okay. At what age should children learn about Santa Claus? Wow, that is a tough one. <laughs> you know, and I don't want to upset anyone because, you know, I know parents take that seriously. They want to be the ones to tell their kids what's real and what's not. Um, I say around about, I say let them figure it out naturally. I wouldn't ever want to ruin that fantasy for them. I say when they get to an age where they know Santa Claus isn't real, that's when you just kind of confirm that he isn't real. But I wouldn't ruin it before they get to that point. Do you, do you feel like, like, I, I don't know about you, but growing up, like, what, did your parents ever tell you at a young age, like, it didn't exist? Or, did, or like, when, when did you find that out yourself? You know, to be honest, I grew up in a religious household, so we never believed in Santa Claus. We were always told that this was Jesus's birthday, and yeah. I knew that my parents were buying my gifts. We they kind of we kind of viewed Santa Claus as a as a false idol. So I was never allowed to believe in Santa Claus. So I never had that fantasy. So then, so I'm with you. I'm with you on that one because when I was probably what kindergarten grade one. I I remember this like it was yesterday. I told my parents, "Hey, what what is I want to give Santa my list?" Mm-hmm. And my parents literally just went, "Well, no, there's no such thing. Right. So don't even bother." <laughs> exactly. And, like, no, this is Jesus's birthday. This is not about Santa Claus. Like, yeah. It's exactly my experience. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Okay, so I'm not going to get any gifts." No, you're not going to get any. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> well, at least I did get gifts. That's a little sad. Yeah. But, <laughs> I did still get gifts. So. I'm okay. I'm still doing okay right now. If you're I'm talking, send you a Christmas present this year and put from love Santa. It. I love it. If you're talking a religious household, though, that means no Halloween then. So you weren't out getting candy. Nope. No Halloween. No Halloween. None of those. It was considered a you know a pagan holiday, satanic or whatever you want to call it. So I missed out on a lot of those. What for children are innocent things, you know, and innocent festivities. But yeah, that's the the life of a religious kid. <laughs> but how, how did that feel even going to school when like, you know, kids were just dressing mm-hmm. up and et cetera? Like, how did that make you feel going? Were you, you know, dreading that day that was happening or was it just, you know, you're just accepting it way, the way it is? Um, I wouldn't say I dreaded it, but I didn't like it, you know, especially as a kid, you don't like to feel left out, you know, so I would feel bad on that day. And I didn't understand why we couldn't dress up because, you know, my thought process as a kid was like, I'm not worshiping the devil. I just want to get dressed up. You know, I just want a costume. I just want to get candy. And I think that's sometimes can be sometimes the problem with those types of things like kids. It doesn't mean that to kids, you know, it's innocent to them and you kind of force this thought process on them that they don't quite understand so as you got older how many times did you sneak out to go to a halloween party (laughs) or a halloween dance because i know i did (laughs) you know i was a 
a good kid. As upset as I would get and as frustrated as I would get, I never did things like sneak out of the house or disappear or lie about where I was going or anything like that. I was a good kid. I waited until, you know, I was old enough to do what I wanted and then I did what I wanted. Uh, that just means her parents are listening to this episode. Like that's- <laughs> You didn't use the study, uh, the study trick. Hey, I'm going to go studying. No, I didn't. But I should have, because one time I told my mom I was going to a party. It was up the street. And about an hour later, she comes into the party <laughs> looking for me. And I was so embarrassed. <laughs> like I wanted to die. So I should have lied more. <laughs> How did that end? How did that end? It ended with her checking and making sure I was okay because she heard that there was something um, like a shooting in the area or something. So she wanted to come and make sure I was fine. And when she saw that everything was fine and the party was, you know, nothing crazy was going on, she left. But still, my friends to this day bring that up. So I've never been able to live it down. Hey, that's what friends are for. <laughs> Got to keep you grounded, right? <laughs> right. Remind you where you come from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's so you mentioned that you're in Vegas right now? Yes, I am. So what what's what's Vegas like right now during this uh, situation? Mm-hmm. Um, Vegas is probably like most parts of the world. Well, those parts where we've accepted that we kind of need to do this social distancing thing. I know in a couple of places they're fighting it, but the city is completely shut down, which is crazy for Vegas if you've ever been. I don't know if you guys right. have, but you know, a lot it's, of times, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally a city that never sleeps. You know, the strip right. is always open, the casinos, bars. <laughs> all that is always going on in the strip is completely shut down so I think that may be the first time that's ever happened so it's really quiet you know similar thing only grocery stores and drugstores are open and most people are at home and most jobs and businesses are closed so it's very eerie you know what our new normal is right now how do you is it like a fine sorry sorry B is there like a fine or anything if you go like let's say down the strip or anything if you're going for a walk or anything like that is it No, not yet. They haven't enforced any type of fines or legal requirements right now. It's more so of a mandate and they're closing everything that you would go to. So it's like you have no reason to leave out because there's nothing to do. How's it up there in Canada? Uh, Like right now, like for us, like again, like essential needs, grocery stores, like there's nothing really open. Like you can still go for walks, etc. They really just don't want you to be kind of out and about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually I'm actually planning a birthday trip to Toronto in June, so hopefully things are closer to normal by then because I don't want to have to cancel all my plans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, like like myself and B, we're supposed to go to LA next month, but um, I don't think that's happening. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's kind yeah. of no point in going, even if you could, because you yeah. won't be able to do anything. Yeah, you're just gonna be stuck in the place. Yeah, right? stuff, yeah. Stuff, I don't think stuff's gonna even when stuff opens, it's gonna be. I think, you know, at least even a couple years towards back like normal, like they've opened a lot of stuff in China and people just aren't going out because why, why be the scapegoat? Why be the, that, that, oh, you know, they thought everything was fine and then they went out and then, you know, this happened. So yeah, it's it's like, I'm going to wait and see and make sure everything's fine. It's kind of like when a new phone comes out, you don't want the first version of it. Yeah. So how do you feel just in terms of living there? Because, you know, in the States, there are 750,000 cases and we were just talking a little bit earlier about this as well. So 
it'll be pretty cool to get your perspective on it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, for us where we're living in, you know, in our province, you know, state, basically, we have 250 cases in the city. So mm-hmm. it's, wow. it's, you know, we've been very good in terms of yeah. it and it's been stopped early, but how do you feel that, you know, even 30 days after all this stuff has started and there's 40,000 people dead mm-hmm. in the States that, you know, people are wanting to open things up. Yeah. Like it's all like, it's, I just, you know, and you'll, I'm, I'm sure you'll listen to the episode mm-hmm. when you're on it, you know, us talking beforehand, like I was just irate about it. So mm-hmm. I don't know what your yeah. stance is there. I, I was, I'm irate as well. I'm happy that I'm in a state that's not doing that, but it's, it's scary and I don't understand it. Like you said, it's, it's nonsensical. We have a rising death toll and a rising number of cases and we're talking and people are fighting to open, open their state back up, or open their cities back up. And I don't understand it. And, you know, this is why we're in this situation. This is why we're leading in cases is because we didn't shut it down the way that, you know, other places have done. And even still 30 days later, we're still increasing in cases in some places and people still want to open things back up as though something's getting better. So it doesn't make sense to me and I don't understand. So it's hard for me to even address it because I don't understand the mindset if it's just not yeah, being taken that's seriously. Exactly, exactly how yeah. you're speaking now is exactly how I was. As I'm speaking, I don't even know what to say because it's just so yeah, it doesn't out make of, any uh, sense <laughs> it's just so out of even normal just common sense or mm-hmm. you know yeah. like this common sense and then there's a bubble that you <laughs> might might be like a gray area but this is just out there yeah so I, yeah I just exactly exactly since i don't understand the mindset of why they think this should be done if they're not they're not taking it seriously or some people think it's a hoax or they're like oh whatever it's just a cold or i don't understand the mindset behind wanting to open things back up so it's hard for me to even address it because it just doesn't make sense to me so the next question is now that we have everybody trying to stay at home people a lot of people are watching tv a lot of people are doing reading so why should they read your book Kimia? What is it that will really stick out and pop into their heads? Um, Well, it gives you an insider perspective on women and dating, an honest insider perspective on women and dating that you may not have considered otherwise. Um, I think the general, the biggest takeaway is defining women by relationship status. You know, whether a woman is single, married, divorced, we tend to attach labels to that. And when it's singles, a lot of times those labels are unfavorable. You look for what's wrong with her. Why is she single? You know, as though she's broken somehow, especially once we get older, maybe in in our 20s is not as big of a deal. But once we start getting into 30s and beyond, then it's like, oh, there's a problem. But if it's a guy, you know, and you're single, it's like, oh, he's a stud. He's having fun. He's a bachelor. You know, (laughs) it's completely different. So there is just this total misconception and perception as far as the way each of us is viewed in the same circumstance. So I say um, the book is for every woman because we've all been single at some point of our lives and it's for every enlightened man. You know, if you're my, if you're open to hearing another side and actually working to understand that side and even maybe look at yourself and the things that you do, you know, it would be a great read for you if, if you're open to that. So you mentioned that there's 10 myths. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how did you pick those 10? 
I just pick the 10 that I hear or see the most often and even some that I've heard myself, um, especially with the prevalence of social media. Now everyone has an opinion and we can see it. You know, they can tell us what that opinion is. So and so frequently on there, I hear I see people talking about, you know, well, this is why you're single. And it's directed at women, usually coming from men. It's like men love to tell us why we're single. So it's this is why you're single. And it's always something negative. It's always something that the woman needs to do or isn't doing. And that just started to bother me. And I just took the 10 that I heard most often or experienced myself or know someone that had this said to them. And I just put them all together, whittled it down into the 10 that I felt were the most common from my experience. And that's how I came up with the 10 for the book. Nice. So it's a, I guess it's a lot of judging that uh, we do, and we don't even realize that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I totally, in general, I don't, huh? yeah, in general, and like you said, you may not even realize it, like, I don't think anyone's sitting around, well, some people probably are sitting around intentionally thinking <laughs> of negative things to say, but a lot of times, and that's with most of our judgments, sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it. That's why I think the book would be such a great read, not just for women, but men also, because it can help shine a light on things you may be doing or judgments you may be making without even knowing it. And then if you're open to that enlightenment and to, you know, looking at yourself, it'll help you better in your better in your dealings with women and um, help better the way that you approach the idea of women and dating and relationship status. How where, where can people get this book like online? Where, where can they get it? Yeah, it's available on Amazon, like, you know, everything else. And then it's, um, <laughs> yeah, Amazon is in control right now. <laughs> yeah. And you, but you can also get, I know some people don't like shopping at the, you know, the big giant Amazon. You can also get it at barnesandnoble.com, Books a Million, any major online bookseller. And how long does, uh, just like a, like a book like this, how, how long does it take for it to be published and just get it out there? Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of depends. For me, I was working at the same time that I was writing the book and preparing the book. So I could only do it in, you know, in my downtime, which may be a couple hours every night or on the weekends. So if, if you're doing it in conjunction with something else, like a job, I would say for it to be the quality that you want it to be, I would give it at least a year to complete writing. And then I had, it. you want to get it professionally edited have the cover professionally designed and then you get a few samples, make sure everything's right, you know, make sure everything looks good and then you finally release it. So I would say give yourself at least a year if you have other things going on. If you don't, if you can just sit home and bang it out, you could probably do it in half the time. Like right now. <laughs> yeah, quarantine. Yeah, like right now. <laughs> Now's the time. You got a book idea in your head, it's time to get it out. <laughs> so are you writing right now? Are you writing on new on a new project? I'm not right now because my focus is just uh, getting the word out about this book that I've released, not only because I put the time into it, but because I think it's important. I think it's probably the most necessary thing that I've ever written because it can help to, you know, um, it can address some of those misconceptions. And the biggest issue that I find with them is is that it damages a lot of women's self-esteem. You know, if you buy into those ideas, you know, then women, you know, you start to feel differently about yourself or less than a woman if you don't have kids or just the idea of getting married. You feel like that's something you should do, whether or not you found the right person for that, because you're succumbing to these societal pressures. And then if I can also speak to the people that are imposing those insecurities onto women, then I can hit both sides and possibly make a difference somewhere. Well, such. 
it's such an old school thing, right? Like the, mm-hmm. well, not old school, but a lot of this stuff comes from in the past, right? Like, you know, women should be doing this or doing that. And it kind of continues on. It's even, I even think of racism a little bit like that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it used to be so prominent before and now we're supposed to be past it, mm-hmm. but psychologically you, mm-hmm. you know, it's there, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's always around us. And, and I think that's one of the main things people need to get by, but in terms of what I was going to ask is you were saying, you know, your work has helped a lot of people. It was in, you know, your one page that you provided to us, you were, you were saying that you were an event speaker. So mm-hmm. I was wondering if you've talked about any of these issues before and, you know, if women or even men have come up to you and said, Hey, you changed uh, my perspective on this or, mm-hmm. you know, any, any cool stories or anything that people have, have talked to you about verbally in terms of that? Um, yeah, I had, I've had men that have read the book come to me or send me messages on social media and things like that, or post reviews and say that it changed their outlook on, you know, how they view women and how they approach women. So that's a win for me because that's where it starts. You know, if I can change that person's outlook, who may be making that woman feel insecure about herself, then that helps her feel better. You know, um, even though I think for each of us, man or woman, it starts within, but yeah, I've had men uh, reach out to me and tell me that it changed their perspective and ask me questions and say, you know, that this is how they want their daughters to view themselves. Because, and that's telling right there, the way that men feel about their daughters isn't necessarily the way that they treat other women, you know? So I think that's, yep. that's the thing. <laughs> that's yeah. Big, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like, would you want your daughter dating someone like you? So I have had men reach out to me and say that they read the book and it really changed their outlook. And I, I feel like that's helpful. But to your first point about, you know, an old school mindset, I think you're exactly right. It's very it, it's very much based in like traditional gender norms and societal standards that we've set where women are child bearers and in the kitchen. And even though we are more enlightened now than we used to be, even how you spoke of racism, I think we've come a long way as far as racism and sexism, you know, but old traditions die hard, old mindsets die hard. And so we want to be this more enlightened generation and society. And I think we're getting there. It is a lot better. But I think, you know, in a lot of for a lot of us in the back of our minds, we still have this idea of what a woman is supposed to be. And it's based on those old traditions that need to just die. And the, and the internet enforces it daily now, right? Mm-hmm. Every second of every minute, the internet yeah. enforces it. So it's, it's tough. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to get away from. And then you think about, yeah, the, the mindsets are old, but they're being passed down. You know, your parents probably told you something about relationships and their parents told them something and it's coming down to you. And so it gets to a point where you have to really think about, and this is something I'll touch on too, not just with the idea of relationships and women, but in general, sometimes you have to think about those things that you've been taught objectively and think like, okay, does this make sense? Why am I doing this? Why do I feel like this? Why do I think like this? And there are some things that you may have to unlearn that have been taught to you. For women at certain ages, let's say they're, you know, mid thirties going past, going closer to 40. I think a lot of them kind of get upset saying, you know what, I wish I had this set up. I wish I was married. You know, Mm -hmm. I was supposed to have like three kids or two kids by now. Mm -hmm. How do you talk to somebody that had this all planned out, but it just Mm -hmm. didn't work out for them? Yeah, I think the first step that I would mention is to think about why you feel that way, because it goes back to, like I said, the societal pressures and the societal norms that we've set. 
why do you feel like you should be married with kids by now? You know, it's normally because society has made you feel that way, you know, or your parents or someone has made you feel like at a certain age, you're supposed to be married with children, you know, and it's supposed to go on the list. So that would be my first step would, would be to really analyze why you feel that way. Now, if you go ahead, you're about to say something. Okay. <laughs> now, if you really, if you know that's what you want, and you really want that, then that's one thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the first step is, is always to examine why you feel that way and why even you want what you want. Is it really what you want? Or do you just think at this age, that's what you're supposed to have? Right, and then, right. yeah. And then from that point, if you think about it and you determine like, no, that's what I want. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of just being comfortable and confident with where you are. Then it's not to say that you don't want those things, but if they're not, they're right there right now. That's not your life right now. It doesn't mean that you're any less of a woman. It doesn't mean that your life is better or worse than anyone else's. Just find things to do with where you are in life right now and just hold on to the concept that you are enough alone. You're enough. You don't need any of that stuff to complete you. You know, just try to find things to do that will fulfill you right now while you wait for those other things to happen in your life. Yeah, like like even like look at families to our parents to even generation before that families used to be huge mm-hmm. you know five yeah. to eight right <laughs> yeah now my grandmother had having, 10 kids <laughs> 10 kids yeah, yeah. Like, like, can't even imagine you know, that in today's society <laughs> yeah. yeah and like and like now you know people are only having maybe one two mm-hmm. kids right three the yeah max. yeah it's so, a lot different it's a lot different like i said my grandmother had 10 kids i have like 40 cousins like <laughs> i haven't even met some of them so it is very different wait you live in no vegas one, and your cousins no haven't come no out to visit you <laughs> right. yeah sorry about what you're saying well, I was just mentioning that she lives out in Vegas. And I'm surprised her cousins haven't come out to visit her. <laughs> oh, a few of them have. That's the one. That's the good thing about living in Vegas. Eventually, everyone comes to visit. Like I've seen so many people from my hometown already just because it's the one place that everyone comes to. So where is your hometown? So you didn't grow up in Vegas then? I did not. I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Gary, the Indiana. Of okay. Michael Jackson. Yes. There you go. <laughs> And then from there, I moved to just some smaller towns in Indiana and moved to Vegas about seven years ago. In the setting of a music man, one of my favorite plays. Yes, so, yeah. yes. A question, <laughs> a question then about your, about your upbringing then. So when did you know that you wanted to focus on writing as a career? Mm-hmm. It wasn't until later in life. Um, I went to college and I majored in criminal justice, but not necessarily because I thought I was going to do something with it. I played basketball in college and I thought I was going to go to the WNBA. I was going to (laughs) be the star basketball player. (laughs) And then when that didn't happen, I was like, well, what else am I supposed to do? You know, because you can't be a lawyer with a criminal justice degree. I would have had to still going back to school. So I just tried to figure it out. And I started thinking about things that I enjoy and writing has always been one of them. I've always had, always had a passion for it. And then I went, um, I got a, I studied marketing in grad school, which is very writing centric. And I got into sports writing. I used to cover the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Sky and um, nice. Michael. Yeah. Michael Jordan's charity basketball tournament. <laughs> I used to write. I used to write for Yahoo sports and that's how I really got into more of the professional writing. 
and combined, you know, just my love for the art with, you know, doing something with it professionally. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I think that's the key. If you, if there's something that you're, you constantly think about, or when it's time to do it, you feel charged. I think that's how you know that that's what you're supposed to do. So you had that ball is life mentality. (laughs) I did. I did. Where I was just all about ball and I'm going to be a star basketball player. I don't need this degree because I'm going to play basketball. And then I was like, well, wait. (laughs) And then then when you hit reality, (laughs) it was tough. I actually played semi-professionally professionally for one summer. Um, It was a team in Memphis, Tennessee. So I was in Memphis for the summer playing on a semi-pro team and maybe one person from the league got called by an over, an overseas scout. But that's why I realized like, hey, you know, I'm all right, but you have to be <laughs> really good <laughs> to play professionally. In that. <laughs> and I had to really sit down and think about like, okay, well, what else do you enjoy? What else do you like to do? And I came to writing. Well, my boy B here is just about to enter university. And I know he's got some uh, hopes here about wanting to play some ball. So I know he's got a question right. about college basketball <laughs> here. No, this is, <laughs> this is a, this is a running joke that I've told Bell many times. Cause Bell's, if you can't tell, he's old as dirt. He's like 55. I graduated and everything, but he always wants to throw this in here this wrench in every conversation for some reason so college college player b you got a question about that for sure so are you trying to play ball or not is the whole thing made up yeah i well hope i i would do it (laughs) you know there's 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 no shot right like i've I've seen the way you eat that you have no shot <laughs> so too many diet cokes in your life. Akabia, <laughs> what was the highlight of your college career then? The highlight of my college career was almost getting a triple double one night. I was like one rebound away from a triple double or one assist, something. I was missing one in one category, but I was still just just geeked, like, oh my god, oh my yeah, god, triple crazy. double. <laughs> yeah. Just stuff yeah. the statue. Yeah, <laughs> that was the highlight of my career because my second year playing, our team was just like decimated. We only had maybe like six players. So we got all the playing time we wanted. So <laughs> you said stuff in the stat sheet. We weren't winning, but I was getting my stats. <laughs> so were you mainly like a scorer? Or like, did you have the ball a lot? Or how were you like in charge of the team? Or were you kind of, how, how did mm-hmm. that work? I was an off guard. I was a two or three. Um, so shooting guard, small forward usually. Um, and I was probably, I was the best defender on the team. So I was always on the other team's best player, but I was more of like a slasher, a uh, rebounder, put it back type of player. There we go. So um, who's your favorite NBA player? I'm sorry, Nick, you're next, but what's your favorite, who's your favorite <laughs> NBA player? Today it's Stephen Curry. Okay. And favorite WNBA player? Diana Taurasi. Baller. One of our subscribers have asked, will you be doing like tours when everything kind of clears out? Like, will you be going to different cities and just talking about the book? And Yeah, I would love to. I do have something in the works where I'm reaching out to event organizers. But as you said, it's kind of all on pause right now because of right. the uncertainty with the world. I'm going to start in Vegas at some local bookstores and bookshops and do some readings. I've done a couple virtual readings. And I am looking to branch out into other areas. So hopefully wherever that person is, you know, I'll be there soon. I think one of the big things um, 
just just with your book is I think I think this might help a lot of people who are having kids and you know when their kids are growing up like I guess I guess you know people like my age that are just having kids and you know mm-hmm. when they're growing up they're they're gonna have that issue where it may not be like how we are right because mm-hmm. I, I think I think for us we always feel like well we don't want to do the things that our parents yeah did right we don't want them to go through that experience yeah yeah we want to yeah that's true you not you not only learn are influenced you know as far as what you do from your parents a lot of times we learn what we don't want to do from our parents so it is it's an interesting dynamic and a lot of times that's where a lot of the pressure comes from honestly is your parents saying hey when are you going to give me a grandchild i'm not going to be around forever i need a grandbaby yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah or if you sh- you're showing up by yourself to all the holiday dinners eventually it's like okay when are you going to bring somebody when are you going to marry somebody and i know in those situations when it's your parents and people that love you a lot of times it does come from a place of love you know they associate they want you to be happy and they associate having a family with happiness so they kind of pushed it onto you a little bit. But I think, you know, it's okay to say, if that's not your vision for your life, it's okay to say that. And it's okay. Like there is no set rule book as far as how your life is supposed to go, that you're supposed to have a family and children. However you want to live your life with whatever is most fulfilling for you, like that's okay. And I think that's the biggest place we need to get to is understanding that no one else can write our stories. See, I'm interested in... Uh in your answer to this, because I know as we were talking about this and just our production meetings, we find that <laughs> I can't be politically correct when I say it. So I'm Uh-oh. just going to say it. Right. <laughs> okay. It's a huge pressure from immigrant families, especially because they tend to be larger. They tend to have mm-hmm. those gender norms. I don't know if I'm just saying that, or if you found that mm-hmm. in some of your research and discussions, <laughs> I'm talking, <laughs> well, think about it. Like all the aunties, oh, right? Like I know that we've all encountered, aunties. right? Like we've encountered so many, so much pressure just in, in that regard. And I mean, mm-hmm. even worse for sisters, cousins, like, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Is this just something that is even more prevalent in immigrant communities or is mm-hmm. it something that's completely universal as you found having these discussions with women from all genders and walks of life? Mm-hmm. Well, in my experience, you know, the immigrant women that I have known or, you know, women that are part of huge families that you know, are from other other countries in things like that. Um, yeah, they say that the pressure is a little different. Like I worked with someone who was, she was an adult, but all of her family still lives in the same house. Mm-hmm. You know, her, her sister, her parents, you know, all of their siblings, they still live together, even though they're adults and they're all gainfully employed. It's just a tradition for them. And then as a woman, you you move out when you get a husband, you know? So it is a tradition and I'm, I'm sure that's very influential as far as what they think. And I think it's a lot harder to break away from those traditions when it's embedded into your culture like that. But um, I'll let, I'm interested in what B has to say about that coming from an immigrant family. Nick? <laughs> B doesn't want you. Yes. B, no, don't, don't let him off the hook, Nick. Don't let him off the hook. <laughs> right. No, because, because, pass the mic. No, because, yeah, no, that's completely right. Like it's a lot of the time, you get a girlfriend or, you know, whatever the situation is, it's always just the pressure of when's this going to happen or we're going to be planning this in the future. (laughs) And when do you think it'll be like, well, no one said that this is ever happening. (laughs) When's the wedding? Yeah. What are you talking about? So no, like I even have 
you know, cousins, friends and stuff that I know that they might be a little bit older, you know, they might be, you know, I have a couple of cousins that are lawyers, like, you know, they've been in school for eight to 10 years and com- mm-hmm. accomplished and just making bank and just so successful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like the families, like they obviously care about that stuff, but they always think that there's this one thing missing. Well, mm-hmm. that doesn't really make sense anymore. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And the, and the thing that sucks about it is, a lot of the people that carry this stuff, like, you know, maybe our parents or grandparents and stuff, they're not as versed as we are on the internet. So they don't Mm -hmm. see, you know, these other sides of the spectrum or, you know, young people really not following these things anymore. Mm -hmm. They, if we tell them and then they just think it's a joke, right? Because it's coming (laughs) from, uh, from their kid or something. Oh, they don't see it. They don't learn it themselves. And when you don't learn it yourself, I think, you you don't really truly believe it right mm-hmm. so yeah that's very true that's a great point like to them that's still how the world is you know because they haven't seen anything different and they don't see they don't see the other side so in their eyes that's still how the world is so if you say something different it sounds crazy they don't understand yeah. because they haven't seen that side of the world and then the disappointment's probably high too mm-hmm. then right because they've never known anything else so if you don't go through and do that well the only thing that they quote unquote waited for you haven't done it so the pressure <laughs> yeah. is just ridiculous right? yeah so, yeah the way you just said it yeah. like oh my gosh i yeah. felt pressure for you saying that like <laughs> no, that's, that's the only that's, thing that's, they've been waiting really, for that and you don't really give it to it them in a lot of these families though like it's, yeah i can what's, imagine what, what's the what's the disappointment rate for you b What's the disappointment percentage right now for you? Well, the divorce rate's fifty percent, so it's probably. They're saying, "How much are you letting your (laughs) are you letting your family down right now?" By uh, (laughs) not at all. Hey, if you're open, hey, if you're open and your family's open, the answer to that question, Bell, is not at all. Yeah, there you go. Right, like like honestly, like like my I think my parents are a little bit older. Like my dad's seventy six now 75 and i think you know growing up they were very very strict and that was the biggest thing like i mentioned they they told me santa never existed so Mm -hmm. like the things that normal kids got i never really got but it didn't bother me because to me whatever they said i felt like that was the norm Mm-hmm. But when you went to school, just like what you said, yeah. You know, when it comes to Halloween, I never really dressed up for Halloween. I sat there, it is what it was, and I accepted it. To mm-hmm. me, those days were kind of like, okay, I just want to get it over with and just kind of move on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because a lot of people didn't understand how, you know, immigrant families were growing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, you know, In the yeah. 90s or 80s, right? So um, I, think, I think that, I think the biggest thing is, you know, if, if your parents are, okay with evolving somewhat i know they're not going to evolve heavily but i think they're <laughs> going to start somewhat to understand how things work mm-hmm. i think that helps out quite a bit yeah. um like my parents i think the biggest thing is they always go well we're not going to be here we're not we're never going to be here uh forever right so it's mm-hmm. like they've been saying that for like the last 20 years, <laughs> like, oh, years. i don't have much more time right yeah, i don't have much more time well do you know your timeline like what are you trying to say like so i I think with that like it's just with them i think they just want to know what's happening but Mm -hmm. i think they just don't know how to say it in a Mm -hmm. proper manner they just 
want to cut to yeah. the chase, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. They're very insensitive in the way that they say yeah. it. Yeah, but I mean, that's the key. You can try. I would suggest that you know try to explain to them your reasoning, and 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 the fact that you even have to is kind of goes into what I'm saying. It's kind of sad that you have to explain why you're not in a rush, you know, because that's your prerogative. This is your life. But, you know, as your parents, like you said, they don't always understand that. But I think if they love you, they'll try to understand. I mean, and if those are the traditions and the ideas that they have, they're never going to completely let go of them. So in the back of their mind, yeah. they're st- and they still make may make a little comment here and there about grandkids or, you know, yeah. you're never going to get them to completely let go of it. But you can try to explain to them, you know, that your reasoning in the world has evolved And, you know, just you try. But the key is, even if they don't buy into what you're saying and they don't accept it, you still have to live your life the way that you feel is best for you. 100%, because in the end, you're going to be here forever. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. After they see those grandbabies and are gone, you're still going to be here with them. (laughs) I think the biggest thing I always ask is, okay, well, what happens when that does happen? What's well, what are you guys going to look forward to, right? Because, you know, a lot of people yeah. always look forward to something. And then when it happens, they don't know yeah, what to what do. Yeah, what else? What's next? What do you want to do after this, right? I did what you said, now what? Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, you're waiting for that one thing. They're waiting for you to give them that one thing. And that's what they're yeah. holding on for. So it's like, okay, if you give it to them, then what? <laughs> exactly, right? Like, so, Kamei, okay, well. you've given us some good advice. So I'm wondering, what time have you ever given one of your friends some bad dating advice? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm giving advice is kind of my forte. I kind of wish I would have gone to school for psychology or something because I just feel like I'm an unpaid therapist right now. (laughs) Like all of my friends tell me I give great advice. And I think the key to it is that I'm very, I'm very objective. I see things from both sides. You know, if you're wrong, I'm going to tell you that I think you're wrong. If the other person is wrong, I'll tell you that. If you're contradicting yourself, if you're in an unhealthy relationship, if you're with someone who's not treating you correctly or, you know, as they should, I'm going to tell you that, you know, I'm honest, but I'm also, like I said, I'm fair. I see both sides. I'm very objective. I don't normally give emotionally driven advice. So most of my friends tell me I have good advice. I don't have an instance. <laughs> oh, well, then there you go. <laughs> so without without naming any names, can you walk us through a scenario of you giving uh, some good advice? Don't put anyone <laughs> on blast, though. Don't put anyone's business out there. Um, In general, it's just most of it, you know, most of the times people want to talk to you when things are going wrong and they want advice on what they should do. So normally, as you know, a guy is doing something or a friend is has been cheated on or something like that. And so my advice is always to I'll never tell anyone to leave their significant other or get a divorce or anything like that, just because I don't want the weight of that on me, the weight of the consequences of that on me, you know, and and I, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. So my, I usually just try to make you think, you know, ask you questions. So I'll ask like, okay, well, how do you feel about that? And have you talked about it? And do you think there is a reason? Do you care about the reason? Because a lot of people, I'm much different in the way that I move and the way that I assess situations from my friends. Like if you treat me poorly, I don't really care why. It doesn't change the fact that you treated me poorly. It doesn't make me feel any better. So knowing why, like, I'm not the one that really makes excuses for people. I'm more about, you know, accountability. 
but that's normally where it stems from you know someone will say that the person the guy they've been dating or their partner you know cheated on them or did something that they shouldn't have done and I'll normally just ask them questions to get to how they feel and try to get them to make decisions based on how they feel and not necessarily the other person's perspective. Ah, so ask them the questions. Right. Don't yes. Answer. Jedi mind <laughs> yeah. tricks. Jedi mind <laughs> tricks. Nick, right. you, you drank too heavily last night. How do you feel about that? Right. Because in general, in general, you're more receptive to ideas that you feel like you came up with yourself <laughs> as opposed to me telling you what to think or what you should have done. You know, if I can get you to arrive at that conclusion yourself, you're more likely to actually follow that <laughs> advice. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, Karen, why do you think you should have been dating that DJ? What do you think was going to happen? <laughs> right. And why did you do that? You know, why did you go hang out with your ex-boyfriend? What were you trying to get from that? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, well, you seem to be good at answering questions that came here. So at this part of the episode, what we like to do, it's called the gauntlet. So we're just going to ask you Uh-oh. a series of rapid fire questions. And it's the first answer that pops into your head. <laughs> Some of them are easier than the others. I'm warning you now. Some of okay. them are easier than the others, but we're expecting an answer. And we will have that long pause where it's just super awkward <laughs> and not edit that out. So. <laughs> you leave it in there. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> like she took 15 <laughs> seconds to respond to this. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm up for it. <laughs> All right. So if you're ready, we're going to start off nice and light, like I said. Uh, so your favorite Disney movie? Cinderella. Have you ever forgot the words during one of your readings? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's one of your guilty pleasure songs? Oh, Britney Spears, Hit Me Baby One More Time. <laughs> Maybe this ties in. Celebrity crush you had growing up? Uh, Usher Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> Current celebrity crush. Ooh, Michael B. Jordan. Oh, Usher got the bump. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Usher's still on there. <laughs> What's the most exotic thing you've eaten? Oysters. Okay, so this one's a bit different. So I'm going to give you a book title, and you have to tell me what that book is about. Okay. Okay. The Clock Strikes Three. I don't know. And I'm trying to say something fast because I don't want the, the long <laughs> pause. Uh, to me, it sounds like it's about, it sounds like it's a fiction book, maybe an action adventure series. Okay. We're giving you another title here. This one comes, <laughs> but the grapes were half price. That sounds like, a dating book. <laughs> That's <laughs> impressive. All right. Uh, have you ever got caught by anyone? Caught? Is this another book title or is this a question? Oh, this is a question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> caught doing what? Uh, you interpret the question the way you interpret the question. Um, yes. Let me say we've all been caught doing something. One thing you would never want to give up. My sense of self. Uh, a romantic gesture that has backfired. Mm. That I did or that someone did for me? That you've done. Uh, um, <laughs> I went on vacation 
once and I was um, with someone that we were kind of on rocky terms. I wasn't sure where we stood anymore, but I bought him a couple souvenirs. And when I came back, you know, he came and got the souvenirs and then just kind of left. And that was the end of it. It was just kind of like, I don't know, he felt more like I was, uh, I don't want to say just trying, I want to say using the gifts to manipulate the situation, but it was kind of like, you know, Here's your parting gift. It wasn't appreciated. Yeah. (laughs) Best things you can put on a sandwich. You how many questions do you have? All right. (laughs) Holy. Mustard. (laughs) And the best thing you've ever written. The best thing I've ever written, in my opinion, is this current book, Single That, Dispelling the Top 10 Myths of the Single Woman. Because not only did I derive pleasure from writing it but i also think it's just a very important topic and there you go you survived the gauntlet all right you know i was bracing for something super invasive and uncomfortable (laughs) and you know it wasn't as bad as i thought it was gonna be. well that's because we want to have you on again and then we'll really get into the questions so (laughs) i appreciate that (laughs) hey thank you so much for joining us today that was a lot of fun hopefully you had a bit of fun it was tons of fun. Most fun interview I've done in a very long time. So thank you guys. This was awesome. Thank you. All righty. Thanks for listening to the Thirst World Problems Podcast. For more exclusive content, follow us on Instagram at Thirst World Pod. Make sure to subscribe, like, and share.